Being Abundance Podcast. With Suji Dravindra and Koen Buchter. everybody this is the fourth episode of being abundance podcast yeah it makes me think which episode because we're talking today about the third law of abundance <laughs> the law of detachment and uh, sujit like always we start our episode with a short meditation so i would like to invite you to guide this meditation uh, for our listeners thank you Thank you, Kuhn. Thank you for uh, holding space. Thank you for being who you are. And thank you for your warm welcome. And yes, to fully become present. Let's start with a little recentering. So uh, if you have any electronic devices, anything that you don't need for this conversation, the invitation is to put it on silence and away from your energy body and if you'd like to create a space that you would like you know some incense or candle a glass of water and find a comfortable position where you can be seated with your shoulders relaxed your spine straight and free from your backrest and gently close your eyes and become aware of all the sensations within your body connect with your body Scan your body with your attention and notice any ease or lightness anywhere. Notice any heaviness or discomforts anywhere. And wherever you notice any discomfort, hold your attention on that spot. And breathe two times deeply into that spot and release. (sighs) 
continue to remain connected with your body at all times as you slowly return back into this time and space and we can begin thank you sujit it's always wonderful uh, to recenter and to feel again the body our anchor from where we operate in this uh, in this life so we're talking today about um, the law of detachment and if i think about the law of detachment i all immediately think about buddha because uh, for me he is a figure that was actually actually embodying detachment someone that is sitting completely in peace underneath a tree so is that a correct observation that buddha is an embodiment of detachment oh absolutely absolutely in a in a holistic sense in an absolute sense uh, you know the enlightenment that lord buddha embodies um very clearly represents detachment and more but to your question absolutely lord buddha embodies uh, detachment yeah he said uh, suffering comes when we have desires and uh, when we don't have the object of our desires um i know you as someone that is an expert if it comes to uh, east and west wisdom especially the bridge between those worlds so what what did buddha meant with this saying suffering comes when we have desires and we don't have the object of our desires hmm. uh, good point good point uh, kun you know um uh, to to make it real say uh your desire um uh, kun is that you would like in your life more than anything else to have um a playstation <laughs> and uh, uh but you don't have the playstation yet what happens we are uh, you know you have a desire which is a desire to have a playstation and there is the object of desire the playstation itself when there is a gap between the desire and the object of the desire then there is suffering there is attachment there is craving you know i really want this if there is no gap between the object i mean the desire and the object of your desire then there isn't the suffering that comes from attachment from that craving yeah um that is what a uh, uh, lord buddha meant how you explained it the problem with that is that you might think oh i need uh, the playstation to be fulfilled or i and or if i have the playstation there's always something else to wish for right so is it the mechanic of craving something that takes you out of the here and now or how do i have to see that wow that's a that's a brilliant question cool indeed you know in that question itself you have touched upon this profound self leadership 
that we can have through uh, detachment. And the way you articulated that question is brilliant. You know, um, uh, the absence of craving. Oh yeah, very much. You know, what a beautiful place to be. You know, total inner peace. <laughs> and um, you know, you don't have to watch Kung Fu Panda to understand the power of inner peace. But you know, Kung Fu Panda, I totally, totally love all the three episodes, particularly the third one. Um, you really cannot miss that one. Mm. Uh, and I'm not getting any royalties or any recommendation fees uh, from uh, the producers <laughs> of Kung Fu Panda to say this on the show. You didn't do the voice of the panda, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 you know, okay. Paul, no. Mm. But um, craving, you know, um, the the uh, fallacy of craving, you know, the mechanics of craving, as you put it, is where the secret is to free ourselves from that suffering. And this is true as much as for uh, uh, as much for a mystic as it is for any worldly human being. You know. You have a craving for something and that craving is like a living being, like a wolf that is inside us, you know, driving us and pushing us forward to, you know, go get that. And assume that after a lot of sweat and blood and toil and hard work, and time away from your um, children and families and at the expense of your uh, health and all of that, assume that you achieved that object that you desire. Maybe it has taken a good few years of your life. Good. And you sit back like, yes, here it is. Now I've been craving all my life for this and I finally after years of toil I found it you know a, a gong bell bowl what happens perhaps for a moment you will feel that inner peace that lack of suffering but in the next moment what happens is that mechanics you talked about re-emerges that is the nature of this organ called ego. A minute later, it will start craving for something else. It has got this thing, the novelty, the pleasure of this thing that we dreamt of has worn out. And then I'm like, you know what? Now I really, really want a Nintendo. <laughs> that is the mechanics you talked about. Yeah. So what happens is that more and more and more I keep feeding those egoic mechanisms, the more and more I'm getting more and uh, stuck in this mechanics of craving. So um, the idea there is to just detach and stop feeding that ego and that is precisely what Buddha meant which is kind of uh, 180 degrees opposite 
to what we try to do to bridge this gap between desiring and having the object of our desire. Yeah, what you say uh, I recognize as true because um, I think that what we always think in our illusion that if we have the telephone that we so much want, that at the moment we have the telephone that we are complete. But the funny thing is, of course, that we are already complete. The only thing that happens at the moment that you get the telephone is that the desire of the telephone drops away. And then for a little moment, you are remembering that you're complete. So it's not necessarily the, the telephone. It's actually it's the object of, of, of your desire. But uh, that is actually just the object. And the object just appears. And at the moment it appears, you feel complete. But you are already complete, right? We learned that from the law of echo in our last episode. Exactly, exactly. We are already complete. And, you know, may no, no listener ever be led to believe Kuhn. And you are such a shining example for me. You know, a great teacher in your own little way of so constantly, so unwaveringly, uh, recognizing your completeness. Yes, you know, um, let no being be ever trapped in the illusion of their incompleteness. No, we were born complete. That wholeness is still completely within us. All we need to do is to kind of just subtract our conditioning that we have acquired through our upbringing and our parents and, and our schooling and the media if we are complete then which products can we still buy you know i mean <laughs> the whole the whole industry is built upon the idea all the magazines for women and and also for men like eh, um, like very sportive types or for women like very yeah, there's always lacking something if you believe those magazines because they want to sell some products right true it, we need to believe that we're not complete if we yes uh, otherwise we will not buy something oh yeah oh yeah besides food of course yeah yeah true it is and that isn't that the 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 very objective of marketing like when you put on mm. a television you know the the commercials that you see on television is psychologically designed to um, stimulate your ego to start believing in that need the illusion of need so advertising is designed good advertising at least in the egoic sense is designed to create needs craving yeah and then once that is achieved good because you see this beautiful fancy car and you see your neighbor is using that car and you're kind of like, you know, your peer pressure or your sense of self-worth is triggered. Yeah. And you feel like, you know, you absolutely need to have that kind of a car in order to feel complete. Yeah. Or it gets even, you know, I, I, I talking of how this conditioning happens, uh, you know, I remember there was this one particular uh, commercial uh, a few years ago that I saw on television when I was in Canada. And for me, it was a fascinating um, ad of observation. It was a, a commercial from our, an insurance company, you know, that sells like life insurance or family insurance, whatever it is. 
and simple um, uh, ad you know you see a man getting into a car and you can see clearly like he's like a family man you know uh, you know returning from work with a tie and tired and excited to go home gets in the car starts driving and then the screen goes blank and you hear the the sound of this massive crash car crash only the sound and then you the next scene is um, there's a knock on the door and the police is standing there at the door and screen is completely silent the door opens and the police woman speaks to the mother and the child mm. all silent speaking and then the mother um, collapses on the ground and the little girl child uh, starts crying all silent scream wow and then the words come you know this insurance company you know and do you have family insurance so that for me is the most primitive primitive level of consciousness when it comes to triggering a human's needs that when it comes to uh, that your innate sense of loss your innate fear of losing life and losing love these are the two of the three fears you know there are only three fears that we experience you know at the most primordial level there are only three fears there might be a thousand labels three fears of this two are the fear of losing life and the fear of losing love and in that one commercial they were triggering all of that and thinking like you know that we will get all kind of subscriptions and registrations people will buy our products yeah they they're tapping in in our survival consciousness eh? and because we can share much more about marketing and conscious marketing maybe something for another episode but if we dive into the three types of relations that we have with money eh? because if you talk about detachment well detachment is something we all feel like yeah i can be detached uh, from my um, from my mother or i can be detached from uh, soccer but to de be detached from money is another level for a lot of people so if we focus on that three types of relationships that we can have with money because i know that you know those relationships um, in fact you know a great reminder there you know you you touched upon that uh, really well kun um you know it's not just about money it's about everything you know because as you put it and i want to use this this uh, theme that you brought into this conversation earlier today the mechanics of our craving you know that mechanics of craving is internal it's an egoic mechanism that you know once you feed that wolf it just continues to live in your being yeah you know whether it's in the form of um, you know uh, attachment to uh, relationships or attachment to certain people or attachment to objects or attachment to money the mechanics is the same and yet yes money is the easiest simplest perhaps the most relatable object that uh, all our listeners will identify with 
you know, in today's world. Yes, you know, um, we can have at least three different types of relationships with money. Um, if you make it subtler, there are five different relationships. But for the purpose of our conversation, absolutely, you know, one is where money controls us. And that is, you know, really a survival consciousness. Like, you know, we feel if we don't have money, we feel desolate. We feel lost. We feel scared. We feel, you know, our, our life is uh, uh, eroding. If you don't have money, that is a, a situation where money controls us. That is a survival consciousness. Also, very much attached to that is the fear of death, eh? that, that you will not survive exactly. the, the state of... Yeah. yeah. Today, at least in the way we live, when we don't have money in the bank, that is precisely how we feel. We feel that, uh, uh, you know, uh, the fear of losing life because we'll not be able to sustain ourselves, you know, keep our soul and body together totally yeah you know it's a funny thing you know how over the generations and generations we've come to equate something as illusionary as money to our life and uh, the second relationship is pretty much kind of the opposite of that where you know we move from the place of money controlling us to imagine the pendulum swinging to the other extreme. Um, and that is one where I control money. Because there is something very fascinating with that sense of control. You know, it gives us an illusion of power, which is actually force. Um, it gives an illusion of um, power over others through that money. It gives uh, an illusion of um, being completely self-authored that, you know, I am in charge of my reality. And, you know, money is a good thing. Um, you know, having control over it, I suddenly have control over government. I have control over my community. I have control over media. I have control over the societal narrative. All of this can uh, play a role. Yet, for me, it is uh, an evolutionary consciousness where we can, when we move from money controls me to I control money, that is a step further in our evolutionary consciousness. Yeah. So from being trapped uh, as a victim to money, now it's still a trap because now I'm trapped in the illusion of being a master of money. Yet, it is an evolutionary step. But I have to say that if we think about people like Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos from Amazon, those people, these people are actually super rich and they use that money to, to manifest their dreams. So you say it's, it's an illusion, but in some sense they are also using that money to manifest the dreams that they have. Why do you say that controlling money is illusionary? Wow, I totally love the direction in which uh, you're going. Very much, you know, if we take a step back, Kuhn, it is very valuable to just ask ourselves. So let me ask you this question, you know, just to play around with this. You know, 
what for you at the most primordial level what is your deepest yearning your deepest longing your pers- greatest pursuit <laughs> you put me on the spot here uh, my deepest yearning I think in the essence is freedom man eh? to be free I could say that I can experience through my family and through my friendship with you and uh, but in the essence it's also the experience of yeah being who you want to be it is uh, also very much connected with knowing that this this body will one day will disappear but uh, I know in my heart that I I am here and now and I will, will not die with it uh, so but th- that knowing is uh, from a moment to moment truth that I fully know that I'm free and I know that I'm free but that that becomes an actual lift experience from moment to moment and I got sometimes like a little sip of it <laughs> and sometimes it uh, hours days but then it becomes like a balanced idea or not only an idea lift truth that I am free that is wow. that is uh, the essence yeah beautiful yeah. beautiful you know I um, um, you absolutely touched on the core the source you know it is very what you said you know this renunciation or liberation or freedom or whatever it is uh, that you refer to um, is very tied to uh, a very subtle constant pursuit that our being experiences and that is a pursuit of reconnecting with the ecstasy of our spirit you call it anandam in sanskrit bliss it is returning to that bliss is the the most primordial yearning we have that is the yearning of our spirit atman to uh, realize itself you know you can just simplify the whole thing and simply just say like hey the pursuit of happiness but then you know we can break happiness down into different levels of you know what is pleasure and what is true happiness you know the best word to stick with is one of bliss you can call it the the exaltation of our soul returning to that and i mean return to it because that is how we were born and what you said that awareness that we are uh, spiritual beings having a human experience in this body you know that awareness is definitely setting us free is taking us to that bliss that is our most primordial yearning returning to bliss and once we understand this and we start understanding all the pursuits we are after we can draw the connection instant instantly we can draw the connection like um, you know i want to go out jogging and staying healthy why i keep asking why 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 you will eventually come to the answer yes i want to return to bliss i want to get this promotion at work if you truly contemplate on that motive the yearning 
you will um, subtract, 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 and you'll come down to the most primitive Y, and that Y is returning to bliss. Any worldly pursuit we have, even if it means, you know, replacing Mr. Rutte as the next premier of the Netherlands, you deconstruct that yearning and go down to the most primordial level and you will notice it is our spirit's yearning to realize itself for us to return to bliss that is the most primordial motive that drives us uh, towards anything and the way the ego is conditioned to believe is we will return to bliss through addition adding more to ourselves i want another beautiful jacket and a coat and a nice car and a, a home a solar panels and i want to live in the woods and i want a job addition 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 that is the illusion of the ego that addition is the pathway to return to bliss and then like you know you are a shining example of the mastery that you have in your life that um we follow our attachments, 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 and then you, like you, for me a great example, the simple realization that, wait a minute, that this addition is a never-ending process. I'm feeding the wolf of ego within. That secret is in subtraction. And that kind of connects the dots and brings us, dots and bring us back to Lord Buddha and his saying, the desire and the object of desire. So you can, you know, push yourself to add, 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 hoping that, you know, the desire and the object of desire will become one. Or Lord Buddha's prescription, subtraction. Subtract. Subtract all your illusions, conditioning. Subtract all your attachments, desires. Yeah. Well, it, they're beautiful thoughts that you share, but I didn't get yet the answer to my question. Like people like Elon Musk, uh, Jeff Bezos, they control money, but you say that is illusionary. What 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 is the illusionary aspect of it then? The simple thing is that we have power. Every one of us has power over everything and control over nothing. It is, you know, um, just to substantiate this illusion. You know, in countries like Netherlands, Italia, Denmark, Spain, France, you know, these last few days, every day in the news, you hear of people protesting, you know, civil disobedience, unrest, going out into the street. And, um, you know, um, in the beginning, I thought, when I was observing all of this, you know, these are people trying to demonstrate to the rest of humanity that they are free from being controlled. And they want to express that freedom by just walking out on the road because that is what they want, not somebody else like the authorities want. So this is my expression of freedom. That is what I thought I should read from this. Then some of these 
protests turned into violence. And that is when I realized that actually these people are not free. On the contrary, these people are completely trapped. They are handcuffed in their life. The illusion of control that they are in the illusion of control that somebody controls them, that they cannot live the way they want to live their life. And um, they want to break free from those shackles and going out and protesting is a way, is one way for them, at least they believe, to show that they are free. But then they're violent. They are trying to break something as a form of protest to this illusion of control. So they are actually trapped. They feel subjugated or submissive to that authority. The reason why they feel they need to apply force to demonstrate that they are free, which clearly demonstrates that they are not free because they need to resort to force. This idea of control is like that. And I want to absolutely encourage Musk or, or uh, Bezos to be free, completely free from that money. That is when they have true uh, power, which is actually the third relationship with money. So, you know, I don't want to speak specifically about a Musk or a Bezos, because that means we'll be limiting the scope of our understanding. And besides, we don't know fully well both those individuals from within. We can only speculate based on what we know on the media. However, imagine if Bezos or Musk is somebody who feel that they are in control of money and they are in that, um, in that seat of power, there is a next level that they can go to, a, a place of true, true power. Yeah, so let me round up a bit for the listeners. So one is money controls you, yeah, that's the survival consciousness. Then through evolution, uh, uh, we come to the second, that is you control money, uh, the illusion to think that you can control money. But that is already uh, the transformation consciousness. And then the third is uh, the one that you share right now, that is even further in, in the evolution. But you could also say the pendulum is not anymore swinging fully to the right or fully to the left. There is also a third way. And that's what you are going to share right now, right? That is the, the uh, in a really detached consciousness and that is a place where you know yes you are grateful for all the money that you have all the material that you have but you are not entangled anymore you're completely disentangled with the concept of money and think about that disentanglement like this like two rails of a railway track they never converge. They always move in parallel. They have to move in parallel. That's the law of the universe. You know, that's the law of physics, you know. Anyway, two rails. Here is you continuing your journey of celebrating life, one rail. And here is the other rail, which is the whole idea of money, you know, because every effort has got uh, a reaction or a reward 
um, being completely disentangled from the idea of money. Now imagine that the money will all be there, which is what the law of detachment says that, uh, you know, our rewards are proportional to our level of detachment from the rewards. Wow. Can you repeat that sentence one more time? <laughs> so everything I receive is proportional to the, the level of detachment I have to the rewards of my action. Yeah. And you speak about the level of detachment, but to understand it even better, what is detachment in one sentence? Hmm. It's non-attachment. Yeah. It is disentanglement. That means I can I can lay it out with a metaphor. What is a, a detachment? That metaphor will not fit into one line, Kuhn, unfortunately. <laughs> so I'll not be able to fulfill your desire uh, <laughs> at this moment. <laughs> well, you know, after the, you, we give your example, I will give it the, in one sentence. <laughs> oh, oh, great. Okay, yeah. good. Lovely. Let's try that. Let's yeah. try that game. You know, this is like a metaphor. You wake up in the morning and you go to the window, you open the curtain. Mm -hmm. And you look out and you notice your car is gone. Is your happiness gone with that car? <laughs> if it is your happiness, your inner well-being is not gone along with that outer object, that means you're detached. <laughs> so... <laughs> Detachment for me is a profound form of inner authority. Inner authority being one of the three qualities of the mature masculine leadership. Yeah. You know, um, one where inner authority, where my inner reality, my inner state is completely disentangled from the external reality to uh, uh, remind ourselves of that example, that story that I shared last week of the teenage kids from Norway and their relationship to the weather, you remember. Yes. That is attachment. Yeah. So detachment for me is open the window and car gone, but deep inside you're just zen. Yeah. Yeah, that external object is not entangled with my inner state. That is a good metaphor to lay out the understanding of detachment. Yeah, but now our society, yeah, we, we are brought up with the idea that you give and then often you can think about what you will receive again for it. Yeah? So you work and then your boss pays you. So how to live in this realm of neo-capitalism and give without uh, being attached to what you will get back from it? Mm. You know, that is such a difficult thing, Kuhn, mm -hmm. until you discover that it is the easiest thing. <laughs> hey, you know, you have two wonderful souls in your home. Use them as your teacher. I mean your two little kids. Mm. Use them as your teachers. You know what? This point that you raised, neo-capitalism, 
you see them totally entangled in neo-capitalism? No. 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 Nothing. They are completely here and now. They give for the joy of giving. Yeah. They celebrate the magic of each moment just for the celebration for the sake of celebration. But I hear our listeners and they say, but we have bills to pay, Sujit. I mean, yeah, my child can give uh, for the pure joy of giving, but I have to pay my bills, right? That is something that then com comes up. You know what? Um, here again, you know, if we don't know how the universe operates the other way, then we can't judge the other way. You know? So indeed, with great compassion, I must say, it's a legitimate question. The question that you just raised is a very legitimate question. You know, somewhere as a kid, we knew the law of detachment. We knew that the universe operated with the law of detachment. But somewhere along the way, in our upbringing and our conditioning, we forgot how the universe operates. So if you want proof that indeed will it work, if I completely detach from the rewards, I say to hell with the bills. I say, you know, what are my spirit wants at this moment is to, rec you know, create some recordings and put it out there and share my truth and do my journalism and this and that. That is what my spirit wants uh, to, to feel fulfilled, to realize itself, the here and now experience. For the joy of doing it, I'd say do it. And just watch the universe. Just watch the universe. This might sound theoretical from a mystic somewhere out in the up in the mountains. No. This is what I experiment in my life, my family experiments in our life every day. Every day we experiment with that. For the last 15 years of my life, I've been experimenting with the law of detachment. And I have had many, many moments of dread inside code. Dread. It's not even fear. I mean, I multiplied by 10. Oh my goodness. The, the universe will, will um, uh, not respond. Uh, oh, I'm going to be let down. Oh, I'm not going to have money. I'm not going to be able to pay the bills this month. No. That dread has all been internal mechanisms. It has not been a measure of the universe's generosity. The law of echo, I mean, the law of detachment says, the more I detachment, uh, detach from the rewards, the more the rewards come to me. Last 15 years of daily practice of that law, I've, I've, I've lived happily. Yeah, I'm still alive. I am still a very vocal advocate of it. Um, and that comes not from just because I learned it from my masters, but 15 years I've applied it and um, yeah. it works. Yeah. Well, I have seen that with my own eyes and uh, for people that are thinking like, what is Sujit talking about that he's doing that in his own life? Let me give an example. Uh, Sujit organizes walks for, for men and, and seminars for, for, women, for men and women. And, and during one of those walks, like where you can go into men's work and, 
and and I actually participated in one of those walks where where you can embody and feel the freedom that you so much search for in your life. Great walks, by the way, through Italy, following um, the road to Assisi, like Saint Francis once did. Well, we were there with men walking, and instead of that, we had to pay a fee of. 400 600 euros it was on a cost donation basis so the costs were very low also because of generous people helping yeah and then at the end of um, of the walk we were actually invited to show our appreciation but we could also say like no you know uh, suji thank you that the costs were uh, enough yeah uh, but uh, we we could share also with suji uh, a donation to help him on on his path of being a facilitator for for men's work, for helping children in India, for a lot of beautiful causes. So it is up to us whether we want to share a donation. And if you are not at that moment capable of sharing a donation, also perfect. We were completely free of doing that. Um, and that was actually for me uh, beautiful to see, Suji, that you are indeed absolutely not attached to the outcome could be that that day you raised maybe one one euro or two i don't know could be that it had been hundreds of euros that people thought like well let me give those this guy some money you know so that was uh, beautiful to see yeah uh, and and then and i know from all the seminars and the books on your website it's all on donation basis so that means that uh, yeah that you are not attached to the outcome um, and that ha- must have been not always easy to, to follow that path. Yeah, yeah. There has been, you know, human fragility uh, at the beginning of this practice. And again, thank you. Thank you for that acknowledgement, uh, Kuhn. Uh, the practice of the law of detachment, you know. Um, uh, I, um, uh, there's an inherent truth here, Kuhn, that human beings are inherently hugely generous. Human beings are amazingly, amazingly generous. This might sound corny or even naive for some people. This is my truth. Human beings are incredibly generous. Yes, you know, and even when I ask for donations, you know very well, Kun, I don't want to know who donates what. Mm-hmm. So I uh, don't want anybody to say, come to me and say, you know, hey, you know, this is my donation to you. Here is a thousand euros for your service. No, I, as you notice, if as you remember, I just um, uh, accept only the donations, you know, anonymous donations. So I don't want to know which man or which woman donated how much. It is True. putting my faith in the universe that, you know, this is a contract between Sujit and the universe and Kuhn and the other men and women who practice with me are just channels of that universe. That, yeah. you know, if I, in return for my service that I offer to humanity and the planet, the universe, and this is two weeks from now, week five, the sorry fifth law which is week six we will go into mm-hmm. it you know the mm-hmm. the law of non-locality how the universe yep. operates in distributing abundance to all human beings but indeed the story you said very very true that um, 
uh, people are inherently generous. So yeah. universe just does its magic through all kinds of people, all kinds of channels that we cannot wrap our head around. But why why do you, you, you why do you not put a price tag on your service? Because you could say that it's so much more easy. Why why you don't do that? Well, well, yeah, you know, most people do that. Almost all people are doing that. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people that I know, they're doing that out of concern for their clients or guests or yeah. whatever it is. You know, um, put a price tag on my service so, you know, people can take a step back. They can do a little meditation like, you know, oh, this price. Do I say yes or do I say no? And they might conclude, I'll say yes to it, or I'll say no to it. It's kind of pretty, making it binary for people, which is such a great disservice. The moment mm. we make something binary for people, um, we are, especially you and I, who are in this field of helping people self-realize, that is a disservice. Because yeah. very, very often, just the reflection of what something is worth to me creates a huge burst of illumination, of growth for people. Just the inquiry process of what is this worth to me. Just asking the question and being with that question, we don't have to force the answer just asking that question, what is this worth to me? And just being with that inquiry in profound silence for a day, a week, a month, years, it is so transformative that at the end of the process, the kind of incredible self-leadership that you develop, it's phenomenal. You know, you also know, Kuhn, you know, so I mean, I totally love not putting a price tag because of that, because just the reflection around price tag is so valuable for people. But you also yeah. know, of course, you know, the spiritual tradition that I come from, Akun, all the masters before me, they've all offered their service like this without a price tag. And, you know, yeah. there are two very simple reasons. One is very pragmatic reason, which is accessibility. You know, it's, I don't want to know who has the capacity to pay what. In fact, every mystic, um, whether from my tradition or other indigenous traditions, recognize that self-realization is a basic human right. The United Nations Charter has defined 30 basic human rights, like the right to education and safety and drinking water, and, uh, all of that. The mystics, the sages understand the 31st, which is the right to self-realization. I truly, truly believe in that. That self-realization is not reserved only for the rich who can afford to pay to join me in a retreat or a walk. No. It uh, must be accessible to all. And I welcome anybody somebody who has paid me zero like you know like during the walk you remember at the end of the walk you know all of you are supposed to uh, 
share with me or return to me an unmarked envelope with your energy in it. Could be zero. Could be unmarked. Could be one yeah. euro. Could be yeah. Yeah, exactly. So some envelope I open, and what I have there is a beautiful note <laughs> that says like you know yeah very much, and I'm I'm gratefully speaking about this. Yeah. No laughing. Just a note. Mm. Thank you, Sujit, for being part of my life. Okay. Yeah. I'm forever grateful. Great. Yeah. I open the next envelope and there is like a thousand one euros. Great. I do not want to know who donated what. Doesn't matter to me because my contract is with the universe. Mm. It is. It takes care of all the rewards. Yeah. So one idea, one of the two ideas why I practice without a price tag on a donation basis with complete detachment to the rewards of my service is accessibility. Yeah, yeah. That I want everyone to be able to access self-realization. And the second one is more spiritual in nature. Indeed, it is the law of detachment. You know, to continue practicing detachment every day because the power in it the freedom to borrow your word, the freedom, the liberation, in that detachment from the reward is so infinite yeah. that I wouldn't want anything else from my service. Yeah. Just to feel that power <laughs> of uh, liberation yeah. is enough for me. So it's a very spiritual reason, the second reason why we offer on a donation basis you know, no attachment to the reward. Yeah. I don't want to know uh, what I'm going to receive in return. I love dancing in the mystery of not knowing. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Well, I remember that once as a journalist, I was asked by an organization to make videos for them and they asked my, my day price. And I don't remember what that price was, but let's say it was like 800 euros or something. and and just for the sake of the argument. And then they said to me, Kuhn, really? 800 euros for, for one day work, two days editing, and and you come with someone else? Why don't you just ask 2,000? Because we want you to be a 2,000 euro journalist and not an 800 euro journalist, you know? So, but it, it made me think like, yeah, what is the price tag that I give myself? That is also a bit of the, of the sad thing of a price tag because you limit yourself, eh? you limit yourself. You say, no, I can, I, I am a 400 or 800 or 1200. Who am I to judge myself that I'm, uh, that my value is that. It, it is beautiful to work in, in such a way that, that you leave that open. I'm sure that there are always people coming to you, Suji, that say, what is that that you normally ask? All the time. Yeah. <laughs> All the time. Yeah. Especially from the institutional world. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's a business, whether it's a non-profit or a political entity, all the time, mm -hmm. all the time. You know, they come all the time. You know, why? Because it's not only because of the frustration. Some people have that, you know, the frustration of having to really think, you know, how much do I, you know, give to this fellow? Mm. You know, is he a coach? Yeah. Is he a guide? Is he a master? You know, is there a, a going market rate? <laughs> you know, um, so there's a little bit of frustration there. Yeah. Um, yet, coaching people through that is such a profound experience. Mm. So there's a little bit of some people who have that frustration, the reason why they ask. Some, you know, there's another reason which is very pragmatic, very pragmatic. If you look at, let's say, the 
the way a United Nations works or uh, the ING Bank or Philips works. If they want your service as a journalist mm -hmm. or my service as a space holder or a spiritual guide, whatever it is, um, the way the process works within these institutions is they internally first thing they have to do is to create a proposal and put a price tag to it they need a price tag before the person who wants to bring you into that institution to help that institution evolve mm -hmm. that person then has to send the proposal to the finance and accounting <laughs> and the finance and accounting will have to look at the the price tag if there is no, it's, if it says on a donation, <laughs> then they will immediately reject and then send it back saying like, you know, sorry, we cannot process yeah. your request. Yeah. It goes to the human resources. The same proposal goes to the human resources. They will look at it. Great proposal. But hey, you know what? We don't know what is available in your budget. And if there's no price tag for training and development, etc., we'll not be able to green light it. It will be sent back. So there's a simple, pragmatic, process-based reason why a lot of people come to me yeah. asking, you know, wait, you know, we will never be able to bring you into this institution and, and start, you know, a spiritual, a conscious conversation around the sustainable development goals, unless there's a price tag attached to it. It happens. And what do you do? Often happens. What do you do in such a situation? The process begins here. <laughs> So the process doesn't begin after they have identified the price tag, they have put it into the system and the process happens and then everyone in the organization or the institution green lights and then I start holding space for them. No, the process begins. My service to that institution begins the moment they ask the question. Yeah, I just simply hold space for them. And I just ask, like, you know what, you ask yourself in a very holistic way, what is this worth to you? Yeah. And then a huge inner process begins. Like understanding, what am I receiving? Am I receiving from Sujit something functional, something emotional, something spiritual? You know, what is the evolutionary shift that I am in the middle of that's a very very deep process yeah and then there's another deep question what is what I'm receiving worth to me you know like there might be somebody who might walk with me for eight days and then conclude this whole experience is worth this much to me mm -hmm. zero mm -hmm. perfect if that person has come to that clarity, purpose served, it's worth zero. For somebody else, it would be worth something else. This whole contemplation around what is something worth to me, you know, look at this, you know, what is this worth to me? Am I suddenly thinking about, you know, Albertine in the supermarket, in the shelf where I find the stationery, I know this is sold and I can buy this for two euros? Or do I relate to this in a different way? This will help me articulate my message to humanity. Mm -hmm. And then humanity will shift. And then 
all of humanity will be prosperous. And then there will be total global peace. And then some of these very polarizing ideological, uh, you know, faith systems will, uh, people will be saved from it. Then, so it's a beautiful process to go into this very deep inner world of understanding what is something worth to us. All of that is part of the process of holding space and growing. Yeah, we, we were speaking about the what is detachment. And um, I now all of a sudden remember once that you said uh, detachment is uh, giving for the pure joy of giving. Uh, like a child gives, right? A child is like that. A child gives purely for the joy of giving. And I see that with my own kids. They don't necessarily... Uh, think of getting something back they just like to give me a stone or they like to give me a drawing or they lo just love to give and you're actually trying to bring us back to that innocent way of being right beautiful summary yeah and i'm looking at the time and i noticed that we've come yes. to the end of our hour and uh, you know bringing it back to the simplest of the simple essence of children or that innocent nature of our spirit is uh, a good summary of the law yeah. of detachment. You know, if when I'm completely detached from the reward, I give only for the joy of giving. I want to give something and I want to see the delight on your face very much. And, and you know, next week, when we come together for the law of exponentiality, which is the fourth law, the law of exponentiality, I will, I will unpack this, this response, the power that we have in magnifying the joy of giving in others. How we can play such a powerful leadership role in creating exponentiality will definitely go yeah. deep, deep and i know deep, you as someone that is uh, not attached to this idea so if it will go completely different you will be also perfectly fine with it <laughs> indeed you know so yeah don't take my commitment as a commitment that this is where we're gonna start next week <laughs> i took some notes so uh, yeah i love to also hear your wisdom upon that subject for now sujit Thank you so much. I would say uh, have a nice day with, uh, with your family in Italy. What a uh, universal conspiracy that uh, Kuhn should just um, drop off from the call. The technology gods decided that uh, Kuhn should just uh, drop off, which is a cosmic perfection happening here. I want to... Um, Thank you, Kuhn, when you listen to this last part of the live stream for who you are as a human being and you know who you are in my life as a friend. And I also want to thank uh, all our listeners to, uh, who joined and, and held space for this conversation to unfold. So wishing you all a safe evening ahead or day ahead. Goodbye. <laughs>